Well, this morning, as you grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 42 through 47 this morning. And as you turn there, um, just want to tell you that, you know, mountaintop experiences are fantastic, right? Those, those kind of big moments in our life where, where big, significant kind of things happen. Um, like maybe you'll go off uh, and, and go to a, a retreat of some sort, and, and you'll have this expression of, of, of grace flowing through your heart. Maybe um, God does something like miraculous in your life, but you just have this moment where, where life seems like it can't get any better, and God's moving, and God's shaping you, and God's doing the things that you've asked him to do for years, and there are these mountaintop kind of experiences that we have often in our life. I know the Church of the Nazarene, there was a day when we would do what's called protracted, I think that was the name they used, uh, protracted revivals where it was Sunday over Sunday, and the, the evangelists would come in, and, and um, they would have church, literally, worship services from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and two on Sunday, and there would be these moments and phrases back there, the Church of the Nazarene in those days was, was protracted revivals. They were, they were also called camp meetings, right? Amen. And then there, there was the phrase that was popular in the Nazarene church. I think it was also pray, uh, popular in many other uh, denominations. I, I think the, I've heard a lot of my Baptist friends speak of this, of, of walking the sawdust trail. Anybody ever hear that one of camp meetings? Okay, that's like a phrase that I walk the sawdust trail, meaning that you were out in the middle of nowhere where they had put this tent up and the preacher came and the worship leader came and they wheeled this massive piano out in the middle of some field somewhere and they began to play the hymns of the church and they began to pray and they began to preach and boy, the people would bring their unsaved loved ones and when that person become a follower of Jesus, they would walk the sawdust trail up to the front where the preacher was and they would give their, their hearts to the Lord and they would do these things. And, and nowadays here in Southern California, we, we have this opportunity, right? Every August, uh, Pastor Greg Laurie does the big harvest crusades and there's no sawdust. They're walking out onto the beautiful, wonderful grass of Angel Stadium. Um, Angels, they're okay. Um, but <laughs> but you, you walk down, you, you know, this this whole thing. And, and now, I mean, a lot of our culture has kind of gone... Well, that, that's great, but more, more and more people are getting saved over a dinner, over a meal. More people are getting saved, maybe like even after church, where they come and they come to a church service somebody, but there, there's not this upfront thing. Maybe they want to go and, and you got saved just because somebody asked you outside or, or in your home or at work or at the coffee shop. More people, there's this move where God is doing all of these great things where it's not, it's, it's not only this or that, it's all of it. I happen to be one that gave my life to Christ by coming and walking and sitting in a church similar to this, and I actually walked down front and I gave my life to the Lord. That, that's how I did it. Um, I've led people to the Lord in Denny's, you know, done that. Led people to, to the Lord outside of a cabinet shop that I used to work in. I led people to the Lord in my office, church. Um, led people to the Lord um, in a mall, in, in, in a park. <laughs> So you know, all these places, right, where, where you lead people to the Lord and, and you pray with them. I, I've led students to the Lord in a classroom. I've prayed with many, many, many young men on baseball and football fields um, as a coach. And, and you, it's all over. You, you have these moments where the God just seems to, like, flood in and meet you. And we, we, for some reason or another, we call them mountaintop experiences, maybe because of Moses. You know, he went up on the mountain and met with God, and that's such a noted kind of thing. We, they take it on this mountaintop kind of experience. But um, 
At the Bloomington Christian School where I teach, we had what we call Revival Week this week where we had chapel Monday through Friday. Actually, we didn't have school Monday, so Thursday through through Friday. And um, one of my students at that Friday said, uh, Mr. Hobbs, what, what do you think about like the when we have these focused kind of moments like this? What, what do you think? And what I said to them sounded almost like, I had to explain myself because it sounded a little bit sarcastic. Um, I, I said, I, I think... Mountaintop experiences are, are significant and meaningful. I said, but I, I, I tend to shy away from them a little bit. I tend to shy away from them a little bit. I, I don't know, there's something about the, the way that, that, that maybe God has created me or something, or maybe something's done horribly wrong with my life and maybe I need to change and be fixed. I, I don't know, but, but I, I tend to do this. And then I told my, my student that was asking this question, I said, I said, I tend to be the person that says to you, Enjoy that mountaintop experience. That's great. I think God's going to do wonderful things for you there. However, I'll be back down here in the valley of common life waiting for you. Because this is where I want to meet you. This is where I think you're really going to need some help. This is where I think it's really going to get hard. You, you, you're, you're good up there. You're, you're fine. When everything's going great for you and, and then the move of God is obvious in your life and, and you just come off this wonderful experience, I'm glad that you had that. That's tremendous. But I feel like I need to tell people around me that I'll be waiting for you back down here in the valley of common life. Because I think that's where the majority of your time is going to be spent. And I think that's where the majority of your growth is going to come from. And that's where I think that you're going to need someone to help you see God because it gets a little dark down here. And it gets a little difficult to see. And I want to be there to help you see when it's not so obvious. We run into these kind of places, these mountaintop experiences in the book of Acts. And that's what we looked at last week when the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, when there was a mighty rushing wind and there was tongues of fire sitting on, on each person. And, and there was this sound that they heard and all of them heard of the mighty works of God in all of their language. And God did this massive, massive mountaintop experience where people from all over that part of the world had come in for their Jewish celebration of the Passover. God had flooded them with something unexpected, something miraculous, something rare, something that he only did one time in that kind of way. And then it was this huge, huge mountaintop experience. And then in Acts chapters 42, or verse 42 through 47, you send them coming back down into the valley and you ask yourself the question, well, what are you going to do now? What, what are you going to do now? And see, I feel like in my life as a pastor and as a friend, as I say, I'm going to live my life down here in this common life, this valley of common life. I'm going to live down here. When you come off of those moments and you go back to work on Monday and you get back to the family and the kids are fighting again and you, you, you don't feel, maybe you're sick, maybe something's, but real life is happening. See, I want to ask you, okay, that was great. Like the mountaintop experience was fantastic. It was amazing. It was great. What are we going to do now? What's going to be the day-to-day? -day? How are you going to really flesh out this Christian experience and, and live as a follower of Jesus Christ? How are you going to do that? And you know what? It's, it's, it's been great to, to kind of think about our church and to think that I've been here for five years and the board and, and I are we're dealing with these wonderful, wonderful questions of asking God. This is what we, the board is asking God right now. Um, why church in the first place? Like, what? Why? Because it seems to me that, that church 
folks and church leaders were focused on what's and how's. My brain automatically goes to what's and how's. Okay, what are we doing and how are we doing it? But we forget sometimes to say, well, why? Why are we? Why, why would God do this? Why, why would God form this community of people he called the, that he calls the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church? Why, why would God do that? And so the church board, we're searching and we're searching and we're searching and asking God about these questions. We're going to meet and our next board meeting is Friday. We're going to be keep going over this question together. But involved in this, that I want to present to you today um, this momentum that was building. This crazy momentum that I'm praying that somehow, I'm not praying that, that God puts a fire on my head. or that, that, that's, I'm not praying that. I'm not praying that you guys hear a, a sound like a wind. I'm not, you can go up to the desert and hear that. And, and Jesus, we don't need, I'm not looking for the spectacular. I'm not looking for the miraculous. I'm not looking for the mountaintop. I'm looking for, God, what do we do right here in this valley of common life? And why have you put us together? Why do you, why do you always put people together, God? I mean, we're, we're in America. We're Western European thinkers. We're very individual. We're very, very individual. And we express our Christianity individually so much to our detriment, I think. But God keeps seeming to call us back into this community, back into this togetherness. And some of I can't answer all of that today. I, I, it, it's so much more than what I could give you in a sermon. But I want to take a peek into this initial dip back down in the book of Acts from this big high moment, this mountaintop experience, and then they came back down. And what did they do? So I want to talk to you this morning about this one overall kind of thought. Devotion builds contagious momentum. Devotion builds Contagious momentum. I don't care what you're up to. I don't care what you're doing. But if you're devoted to that, if it's your workout regimen and you're in and you're up at 5 a.m. every morning and you're working out and you're running and you've got, you're, you're in it. Your devotion, your passion, your, I'm going to skip everything else and do this. I'm going to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. I'm not going there. I'm doing this. You've got this, this thing about you where you're just devoted to it, you're, you're poured into it, you've got to do it, that becomes contagious. That starts to build a momentum. And in the sports world, you know, you, you say that sometimes the jersey, you know, hopefully the Dodgers this year, right, the Dodgers wear the, the, the jersey of momentum. And then sometimes you, you, when you watch sports or you're playing sports, you're like, oh, shoot. Momentum just changed teams. Momentum went over there. And you ever play maybe a basketball game where it feels like the other team is just so on a roll? They're just so on a roll. It's like an avalanche. You can't, you can't stop. It's like, oh. You ever feel like you have such that this kind of ability in you? You're so devoted. You're so passionate. You're so focused that nothing can take your mind off of this one thing. And how people that, they kind of admire that about you. They're like, oh, wow, you're so devoted to that. They're so into that. They say no to everything else but that. That kind of makes me want to. Makes me want to jump in. It makes me want to do that. So all across our world, whatever people are devoted to, it builds this kind of contagious momentum. And it becomes very hard to stop. And you know, momentum is kind of an interesting kind of thing, isn't it? And I'm not a scientist. I, I, think, I don't know. But all I, know, I, I think, I'm thinking that I remember this correctly, that momentum is speed plus size. Any scientist in the room? 
No? Okay, so you wouldn't know if I was telling you the truth or not. But anyway, so go and look that up. I don't know, go to YouTube and see what is momentum. But I think momentum is size plus speed. That's why you got a really big, like, massive boat going real slow. You can't stop it, right? Or you got a bullet that's really tiny going real fast. You can't stop it. So it's like this momentum. So it seems to me like this moment in the church, you had 120 people, and they gained momentum. They gained momentum. The Holy Spirit, big, 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 he just came flooding into them. And there was this momentum that started in the church. But yet their future was going to be very, 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 very kind of hard. It's like they needed this momentum. You ever, like, maybe if you're running or going downhill or have a really, really, really crappy car, maybe like a three-cylinder or something or other, okay? You ever been in those, those clumpers? I call them POJs, a piece of junk, right? Okay, and, and, and I once referred to the front of my house as the POJ parking lot. But, okay, so, like, you, you know you've got that hill coming. You're like, i got to get some speed. If I don't get any speed, this little poor little truck isn't going to make it up. We're going to have some struggle. And you see people doing that on the home pass. There's this one little turn. It's like, coming. I got to get this speed. I'm going to die at the top. I'm going to make it. And so some people, it's like, you, you got to get this momentum in your life. And this moment, some of you, your momentum's going the wrong way. So many things keep happening, and you've got a backwards momentum. It's very hard to stop a backwards momentum and go the other way, isn't it? Very hard. Very hard. Very hard in life when you feel like you're just slipping backwards. Slipping backwards into a depression. Slipping backwards into anxiety. Slipping backwards into an emotional and, and, and physical hole. you, you got to have some momentum to get you up, get you out of there. And I think that starts with what you're devoted to. I think it starts with a devotion. And why I kind of caught this idea of momentum in this text is, is very, a little bit nerdy of me maybe. Um, Maybe you're like, well, of course, you because you're a pastor, so you study the Bible like that. But I think everybody should see this. I think everybody should see this. When I read this passage this week and I started to prepare this message, I noticed that verse 42, verse 43, verse 44, verse 45, and verse 46 all started with the word and. All started with the word and. So I got out my Greek interlinear Bible. I started looking up those words and. And there were three different ones. Three different words used for the word and. And I'm like, oh, this is so fun. And some of you are like, what? You're looking up the word and in Greek? What are you doing? Momentum. Momentum. So in verse 42, 43, and 44, the word da. We would write it in English D-E-H. It means a it's a, it's a continuative participle is what it is, linking three, these three verses, okay? So it's like continuing. It, 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 it's continuing. So it's taking this thought, now we're going to continue that out in this way, then we're going to continue that out in this way, and we're going to continue that out in We're not changing thoughts. We're continuing. We're bringing it along. It's like we have a backpack. We're going to put that in, and we're going to put that in, and we're going to put that in, and now we've got this. Now we've got this pack. We're going to walk through the grocery store, we're going to put that in, then we're going to put that in, and we're going to put that in, and now we have the meal, and now we have this, okay? And some of us, that's the way we're living our life, we're putting this thought in, and this thought in, and this thought in, now we have a mindset, now we have a philosophy, now we have a perspective, 
Now we have a worldview. And see, some of us are doing that with, with good things and some of us are doing bad things. And if you're like normal human beings, you've got some good stuff and you've got some not so good stuff. And your worldview and your perspective and your philosophy of life is all kind of topsy-turvy and it don't make sense, some of you. Some of you, your worldview and your perspective, it's an incoherent worldview. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. And to um, kind of help you see that, um, was watching a... Uh, First, I listened to the podcast, and I went and found on a video a talk by William Lane Craig, and uh, he's a professor at Houston Baptist Seminary and Biola, and he, uh, he wrote a, a, a message called Intellectually Neutral, that we're just all stuck in this intellectually neutral position, and he refers to an email that he got. He got an email from a listener that said, here are the top five books that have caused me to reject my faith in God, and someday I'm going to read them. Thank you for giggling. She got it. She got it. That is an incoherent statement. Here's the five books that caused me to lose my faith in God, and someday I'm going to read them. That's like saying I love pizza, and someday I'm looking forward to trying it. It doesn't make any sense. I get more laughter when I use pizza. Amen. So, yes. Because when I've told this to a group of 120 students, I've probably had five of them go, oh, I get that. That's ridiculous, Mr. Hobbs. And the other one, what's wrong with it? Because they're putting a little bit in here and putting a little bit in here. And they've got this momentum. The momentum of their world and the momentum of our culture is an illogical, individualistic worldview. Does it make any sense? At all. It's intellectually neutral, the brain disengaged. It's like that wobbly gear stick on the truck, you know? It's just, it's not in gear. And you know, when you walk up to somebody's life and you give them a little shake, it's like, you're, you're not in gear. What are you, what's happening here? There's no devotion, there's no focus, there's no logic. And so here in this, they have this devotion to what? So, well, I'm sorry, back to this. So this building, so those are the first three. The fourth one, is this word that you translate and in English, that word's the, the word chi, which means a cumulative force. So in the first three ands were and this, and that, and that, and the third and, the fourth and, I'm sorry, the fourth and was putting all that I now have, and it becomes this force in my life. It becomes this push in my life. It becomes that which is giving me momentum. And so when you look, and you look, go to the screen, please, that has the, the text there. It says, look at this, verse 42. And, well, what's that first and for? The filling of the Holy Spirit, which we read last week. So the Holy Spirit came and filled their hearts. And then they said, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. So after they, were re they repented of their sins, they baptized. And then they've got and... So they're building on this mountaintop experience, going back into the valley of common life, but they've got this in their backpack now. They've said they're saved, they're Christians. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. It's all that cumulative stuff. They were putting that in their backpack. Verse 43, and awe became on every soul. That's the cumulative push. So as the people got saved and they devoted themselves, they created this momentum. The result of putting the teachings and prayers and fellowship into their life. 
It created this communal force. And the gospel spread all over the world. They had momentum because of their devotion to life. And when you're devoted to something, it creates this and, 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 and then this cumulative force in your life and in our church, in your families, in our culture, a cumulative force pushing in a certain direction. Verse 46 begins with another and. It is the word te. It's a connective participle that takes everything before it. It's an and says, and not only that. So that's what the last and is. Not only that, but this. It's as though the author of the book of Acts, Luke, is saying to us, they put this in, they put this in, they put this in, and then it created this force. And not only, not as if that wasn't great already, there was this bigger push. Not only that, but something else too. And what was that? Verse 46. And day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts. That became the push. Not only were they putting devoted or, or fellowshipping together, not only were they studying together, not only were they eating together and praying together, but all those components created this unstoppable force, this cumulative movement forward of momentum. Oh, and not only that, <laughs> but they became generous grateful. That was the outpouring. So it was though a church decides we're going to focus on the word of God and prayer and fellowshipping with one another and eating together. We're gonna, those are going to be, we're going to focus on those. And it's going to create this momentum. And it's going to pour out from the church in a generous and glad heart to others. That that's, that's the expression. That's what the people outside of the church are going to see in the church. That when they peek into the church, you know what they're going to see? They're going to see glad and generous people because of the things that they've added to their life and the momentum that has been created. And now in the valley of common life, when things are hard and things are challenging and persecution is breaking out in unimaginable ways, where they're at is they're glad and they're generous. Glad and they're generous. So when you look at a church and you say, well, what kind of momentum is taking place in the church? Well, are they glad and generous? No, they're bitter and selfish. Well, that's not good. So as we think about our community together, are we devoted to things that are resulting in a glad heart and generous heart? You see, that's, is that what's going on in your family? Is that what's going on in your own heart? Do you have that kind of momentum? Are you, are you devoted to the right things in order to create this momentum in your life? Or do you have some things in your life that are weighing you down? that are hindering you, that are creating a momentum in the direction that you don't want your life to go? Is it and, and, and this? And selfishness. And bitterness. And discontent. And, and, and. And you get this momentum going backwards and you realize, how did my life get here? How did my family get here? How did I become so negative? How did I become so bitter? How did I become so angry? What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? What kind of momentum are you creating in your life? 
So they had this momentum going, and I really got to pick up the pace. So this idea of devoted, now let's back up for a second. What were they devoted to? That word devoted means a lot of things, and I'm going to throw out some, some kind of definitions and some understandings, and, and hopefully, you know, if I do this, you don't try to remember them all. I'm just asking the Lord to kind of give you maybe one that helps you today. That's why I'm giving you so many. To be devoted to something means that you are steadfastly attentive to it. You, you're like, you, you can't take your eyes off of it. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop doing it. It's like, it's like this thing you're devoted to. In some ways, when it's something bad, we call it an addiction. It's like, I'm a, I can't, it's like, I can't stop looking and trying to figure this stuff out. We're devoted to it as a community. It's like, we, it's like we just keep going back to the Bible to try to figure it out. <laughs> when someone asks us something morally, something ethically, we just ah, I gotta go back to the Bible and then let that form my opinion and share with you. Oh, what do you think's going? How do you think the election's gonna go today? This year we're in an election year. Do you, where do you think our country's going? You know, let me go back here. Let me look here. What, what do you think about this moral issue? Do you think this is good or this is bad or? Oh, let me go back here. How are you raising your kids? How are you influencing your grandkids? Well, let me, let me try to do so based on this. Let me try to do so because I'm, I'm devoted to this. How are you loving your spouse in the different seasons of life? Well, I'm trying to, as a husband, I'm trying to figure that out. And what that means to apply love your wife as Christ, love the church, and give your life for her. And at different stages that, you know, we're, August will be 30 years, so that, that's going to be a little different now than maybe that was when we started 30 years ago. You know, that's going to have a lot more to do with kids than it does now. So now it's like, how do we do, how do, we do that now? You see what I'm saying? You've got to keep asking those questions as you, as you move through your life. So you're steadfastly attentive to it. Um, you're giving unremitted care to it. You, um, you're in it all the time. You, you even persevere through it. In other words, when you read the Bible and it, it's hard and, it, and you, you're like, ah, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I would agree with that. I don't know if I like that God says that. But you persevere in it. You, you, you kind of, you're, you're devoted to it and it's hard. So you keep doing it. You're devoted and you're confused. <laughs> you're devoted and the pastor picks apart all the ands in a text and you're swimming in that going, what in the wide world are we doing now? And so you, you, you're kind of, huh? Or you go to a Tuesday night Bible study and you're like, what did you just, what? What are you doing? That's okay. And you know what? I'm praying about how to be better at answering your questions. Because it's come upon me various different things over the last month or so that so many people that do what you do, attend a church and be a part of that, so many of you have questions that you never ask. I'm like, I don't know everything. I, I, I don't know most things. But you know what I've been pretty good at? I'm pretty good at going and finding answers. I, I've, I've become a decent student. I, I can go learn. And, and if you ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, then we can learn that together. We can figure that out together. But can we just agree right now at this point in the service that forever forward, as long as I'm your pastor, that you can ask me whatever you want. Is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to call you an, an idiot. I'm not going to 
Ask me whatever you want. If something happens in your life and you're like, I don't, I don't understand this. You read a passage in the Bible, I don't get this. Ask me. Don't let your questions go unanswered. Don't abandon your faith in God because you were too afraid to ask a question. Ask questions. So they were devoted. Jesus, they were devoted people. Thirdly, uh, they were a fearful people. Fearful people. Um, this, this here, verse 43, um, they were a fearful people. Um, that, that, that's like this scary fear. They were literally afraid. They were literally afraid of God. So now, I, I, I sometimes want to water that down and say, it's not being scared, it's just having a healthy reverence. This, be, this word means they were scared. <laughs> in some of the places in the Bible, it's a healthy reverence, not being scared. But in this particular book, God was doing so much wonderful things. Look, the, the church was growing and it was, it was like tremendously wonderful things. It was so wonderful, they got scared. They got scared. They were scared. Oh, my goodness. God is doing these big, massive, world-changing things, and that terrifies me. It terrifies me. Oh, there are some wonderfully terrifying things that happen in the world, aren't there? Birth of a child. Scary. Right? Scary. <laughs> Graduating from high school, moving on to college, scary. Getting married, terrifying. I was married one day. I don't know how to move. Walking down the hallway at the hotel, walking down the hallway at the hotel, married less than 48 hours. I did something like something like this, scratched my face, and I was like, holy crap. I looked at the ring and I thought, oh my, I'm married. I was like, this is, what, what, what I'm 19. What? I was like, oh, scared to death. Susan and I putting Bailey, our 27-year-old daughter, nearly 28 next month, putting her in the car seat, putting her in the back seat of the Honda Civic and driving home, terrified. Oh, Jesus. Like, I, can, I don't want to, like, I want to crash. I'm doing this. What am I going to do? I'm 20. I got a kid. God help me. They probably like broke the steering wheel in half. I was so scared. But they were scared of God. What's he going to do next? What crazy thing is God going to do next? And what does that mean for my life? What am I going to have to follow Jesus into now? Scared. It's okay to be scared. It's healthy to be scared. It's great to be scared. Your senses are heightened. Your awareness is more acute. You're scared. Hate to admit this, but the other day I was going down a trail on my mountain bike and I got scared. I got off and I slid on my butt down the down the, down the rock because I feel like it's better to slide down than to smash my face on it. So I admit to you today, I bailed, I got off, I slid down on my rear. I'm chicken. It's just like, ah, I'm scared. I sent Susan a picture of the of the, of the trail. <laughs> and then I sent another text. I did get off. I didn't go down that tell the scary. Teaser sometimes. Look at what I'm writing now. Look what I'm avoiding. <laughs> so scary. Then fourthly, they were a people united in meeting one another's needs. They were united in meeting one another's needs. You know what I love hearing? 
I love hearing the things that don't have anything to do with a program, things that don't have anything to do with an official kind of position or official anything of a church. It's just Christian people meeting each other's needs, and somehow I hear about it. I love that. It's one of my favorite things about being a pastor is just that the church provides this atmosphere where people, um, they, they wouldn't have known each other at work or, 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 or family or, or, or neighborhoods. They know each other from, from this fellowship that we have in Jesus. And then there's a need and you go meet it to where there's a need that you hear about it and you don't call and say, Pastor, does the church have a program to help? No, but you help them. <laughs> Why would you ask if we have a program for that? We don't have a program for every little thing that comes up in the world. We, we, no, we help each other. And that's what they were doing. That's what they were committed to. They were committed. That's where they lived in the common valley of this world is, is that they were generous and they were meeting each other's needs. That they were united in meeting each other's needs. Fifthly, um, they're the first church, if you take this kind of section in your Bible, um, from Acts through like 3rd John, right before you get to Revelation. You take most of those books of the New, Te New Testament and you say to yourself, what did that church teach us? What, what, what did that church teach us? That first century church, right? That first century church, it did this. The first century church displayed the necessity, okay? The necessity of being a part of a local church, Okay? You see that all throughout the throughout the, the, the Gospels, and sorry, um, from Acts all the way through Third John, and I have ten, and I didn't put the scriptures up on the screen. I, I, we're just going to look at this real quick. We're going to we're just going to take a take a glance at this. If you um, if you want this list, shoot me an email. I'll email you the PowerPoint or whatever like that. If you want that list, I'll hand you my notes on my way out. Whatever, just have the list, okay? But I just want this to spur something in here. In your heart. Alright, the, the first three are right here, but they serve they're serving each other. In First Corinthians, that's well noted that the church in Corinth was serving and giving that. Um, they were growing in maturity through gifted teachers. Um, I, I hope that you're doing that. I I hope that God is enabling me to teach you something. Okay, so I hope that's happening. And we have other gifted teachers in, in, in the room, other Bible study leaders, other things going on, and gifted teachers are a key part of the church. Uh, praying for more. Um, number three, being equipped for works of service for the building up of the local church. In other words, so like we can gain that momentum. You have gifts that you can use in building up this community, okay? This community together, and we become stronger together. That was in Ephesians 4. Um, and then number four, bearing one another's burdens. So when you, so, so amazing to me how much when people say, Pastor, sorry I missed church Sunday. I was just feeling depressed and I was sad. I had a bad week so I didn't want to come to church. No, I need to see you walk in the door and say, Pastor, today of all days I could not miss church because I've had a really horrible week <laughs> and I need my church family. I, I need to get that cup of coffee. I need to eat that macaroni and cheese. I gotta, I, I gotta be here with you guys in this. I gotta be in this space. I have to be in this environment because I've had just a terrible week and, and, and it's just horrible and, and I just need to sit here with you. You all today, right? Same church. So we can then encourage one another. We can build each other up in our Christian faith, help each other to think more like Christ, I hope. You know? And then our seventh and ten, 
is this, um, pushing each other to persevere. You talk about momentum. I'm just stopped. You need someone, you need someone to come alongside you, put both hands in the middle of your back and just push you. <laughs> just like, we're going. I don't care. We're, we're going this way, you know? But I don't want to shut up. We're going. And I hope that some of my sermons for you and some of our dialogue is me just pushing on you. Just like, you know what? I don't want to hear you right now complain. I'm just going to push you in this direction. Just you just go that way. Okay? Just go that way. Don't, don't argue with me. Just go that way. <laughs> and I'll go with you, of course. Right? I'm not planning using that. Eight, pour out, pouring out compassion. I hope that's hoping today, how happening in our church. That, that's, that's such a big one, especially with people that think differently than you. Can you be compassionate on some, with somebody that you totally disagree with? I mean, absolutely, totally, 100% disagree on everything about life in the world. Yet when something happens in their life, can you pour out compassion to them? I, I really hope that, that's, that the church, we can have that. I think we, the church needs to get so much better. I need to get so much better at putting my arm around people that I just see everything different from. Wouldn't it be great? I know this is scary. Wouldn't it be amazing? People that call this the retreat church their home and they just so disagree with me on some things. They say, Pastor, I love you, but I think you're wrong right here. Okay, sweet. And we just have this church of people that can get along even though they don't agree with each other. Isn't amazing? That, that, that would be outstanding to me. I think that would be such a, such a wonderful place to be a part of, to sit and talk. And Susan and I had, had a meal and spent several hours with some friends of ours that he's, he's pastoring in a denomination that's not like ours. But we do think, we look at each other when we talk theology and shake our heads. I even made the comment to him yesterday. I said, when he made, he, he made a theological statement, and I said, you know what's great about that? And he goes, what? And he said, you and I don't need to talk about that any further because we, we already know that we disagree, and we already know what each other will say, and we don't even need to ask the questions. And he started laughing. He goes, yeah, pretty much it. And we moved on to the next topic. But we've been friends for, mercy, 20, almost the whole time. We were married about a year when we met then, right? So about 28 years we've been friends. And we went through a period of about three weeks when we were in our 20s. We reflected upon this yesterday. We went through a period of about three weeks where we didn't talk to one another. Because I, I, was, I was a Bible college student studying in the Church of the Nazarene, studying Nazarene theology. He was studying in the Reformed tradition. And I got so mad at him, so angry with him. And then at 22, 23, didn't know how to deal with that. I just didn't talk to him for three weeks. And I was so mad at the person that was influencing him to think that way theologically. I didn't talk to any work. We were co-workers at a Christian ministry. We didn't talk to each other for three weeks until guess who needed to ride home? Me. Hey man, can you need to ride home? Oh, and then his thought, he told me last night, he's like, oh, we're going to have to talk about this again. Crap. <laughs> he gave me a ride home. We sat by the garage and we hashed it out. 28 years in, we laughed and thought, boy, can we go back? Can we go back to our 20s and have a better discussion about this? Can we, can we not fight? Can we just have these discussions? So... So good, so good. And then provide forgiveness, and then number 10, just love. See, that's what the church has taught us in the first century. The first century. And although my friend and I disagree theologically, we agree that we need to do better as a 21st century church, going back to the first century and trying to figure out how to live.
and try to figure out how to be the community of God. Amen? And it's so fun. And at the end of our conversation, I asked him, I said, I said, so what, is it, what, is, what does it take to be a Christian? And he said, totally trust Jesus. <laughs> I said, well, there you go. That you are utterly dependent upon him for your salvation. You didn't earn it. You can't gain it. You trust that what he did on the cross was sufficient for your salvation. You see, we disagree on just about everything else other than that. No, I'm just kidding. We don't a lot of well, we, we agree on a lot of things. But that's that's the beauty of the church. And I pray that we have space here, that you have space to have your faith struggles, that you have faith, that you have space to ask questions that you can work through these things and that our church can be so devoted to loving each other in a biblical way and so devoted to being the kind of church that God had in mind when he started this thing in Acts that we can gain this unstoppable momentum of life change in each other's lives. Amen. Well, hey, we always, I, sometimes I like to finish with questions. But um, this passage sums up kind of what I've been talking about. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That word there over in um, verse 9, he has called you out of. Called you out of. That's that word. That's the meaning, at least. That's the meaning of this idea of ecclesia, the church. The called out ones. And called out of darkness into light. A place of understanding. A place where you're not going to say, I love pizza and I hope to try it someday. See, that, that's darkness. That doesn't make sense. That's illogical. Okay? It makes sense. But you've been called into light. You've been called into a place of learning. A place of discovery. A place of understanding. A place of revelation. A place where your questions can get answered. A question where you can really know things. It's amazing to me that at the highest places in academia, you're not supposed to know. As I work on my doctorate, it's so, it was so amazing to me when I learned academic writing. Academic writing, you can't use the, the phrase, it is, or I know. You have the right, it may be, it seems to be. Evidence seems to suggest. But it's arrogant to say you know something. So at the highest levels of academic institutions, it's maybe, sometimes, kind of, could be. But Jesus tells us, I have come that you might know the truth. Hello. Thank you, Jesus. That I paid tens, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars to walk away with a degree and go, eh, maybe. I don't know. Could be. Might be. 
There's just a bunch of educated people that we don't know if we know anything. But if we devote ourselves to this, Jesus says, I've come so that you can know. Not amazing. But you can know. So if you don't know today, that's okay. That's why Jesus showed up. You don't know. That's all right. So let's be devoted to this thing. Let's get in. Let's dig through it together. Let's think out loud. Let's ask big questions. Let's ask each other questions. Let's look at each other and say, you know what? I don't get this. I don't know or I don't like this. I wish universalism was true. I don't like, I don't like that hell is taught in the Bible. I hate that. I, I would wish that God wouldn't do that. I don't like the convict. You're going to fire me now? Well, the pastor said he doesn't like the doctrine of hell. I told you, the doctrine of hell is in the Bible, and I don't like it. I hate that. I hate that Jesus says that wide is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the road that leads to life. I hate that. I don't like that. But you know what? I, I, I don't think God does either. I think God hates that, too. Isn't that amazing? Can we talk like that in church? I hope we can. As long as I'm the pastor, we will. We'll talk like that for each other. And we'll be devoted to figuring this thing out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. Lord, for loving us and walking us through the common valley of life. And Lord, they were so devoted that they created this momentum, this amazing momentum in their lives and um, in their communities. And they radically changed the world to within a short, rather relatively short period of time. Christianity became so impactful, so revolutionary, that from these 120 people, all throughout the world, to the point where there was such influence and such momentum, it became the official religion of Rome. The official religion of that part of the world. Because it just had that much influence. And so, Father, I pray today that in this church and in churches all over the world that there would be this momentum created. I pray, Lord, that in these families and in these lives that are here today and that are listening to the podcast, I pray that momentum would be birthed in their life. And that they would understand, Lord, that this momentum will, will keep growing in size and in speed more that they're devoted to these right things that we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Father, we pray those things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to receive